Father, thank you for allowing us to come boldly into your presence. Thank you that you listen to us in the same way that we as loving parents listen to our children. Whether they're three months old, three years old, 30 years old, we want to take in what they're saying. And, and um, when we show them a genuine respect and love, we listen. And you do that with us all the time. No matter what you're doing, no matter what the pressures are, no matter what the world's fighting over today, you are listening to us and available. And we thank you for that. So we don't take it lightly that we come before you as we open up your word. We need you to teach us. We need you to help us to remember this and to put it into practice. So it's not just filling our heads with more information, but may it change our hearts in a direction that brings glory to you through Jesus Christ. So thank you for this time, Father. Use it for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to look at Psalm 1 this morning, and then Michael will be here. Michael Payne is a missionary uh, with Cadence International. I think it's international. Anyway, Cadence Ministries that are working with our military. So wherever our military is scattered around the world and there's enough of them, they'll send a Cadence missionary there. So just in case you don't know who, who they are, he'll be coming and speaking next Sunday. They have been there for eight years. You were there the first, okay, so 11 years. All right, so they have faithfully been serving. So keep praying for them. They're in the prayer sheet just to remember that need and their travels. It's very expensive to get here. And there are a lot of flights being canceled these days so that um, I don't want to have to speak again next week. One, you get a week and then you get a break. And then the following, Lord William, will be in, will be in Psalm 2, just to let you read ahead a little bit. Um, and then we're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount as a series. Um, so we're excited about that. But I wanted to start with Psalm 1. This is one that many of you have memorized. We were encouraged to learn it as teenagers back in the day. God has a specific goal for us. He wants us to be righteous. In the New Testament, this is brought over and explained with righteousness is the same thing as Christ-likeness. It's having that characteristic of who he is and following after him. One who is just. And it's not just a position that we have, it's a practice that we put in every day, all of our activities. We start with the book of Psalms because it's a, it's a unique picture here. We don't know who wrote Psalm 1. In two weeks, as we look at Psalm 2, who wrote Psalm 2? David. David. And we only know that because of the book of Acts. Comments back to Psalm 2 and attributes it to David. But Psalm 1, there is nobody attributed to this psalm. It's kind of interesting to me. It's the opening, the, the beginning of a book of praises. The psalms were the hymnal for the Jewish people. So these were all put to music. They didn't write them like we do today where your lines have to rhyme as you go back and forth. It's a little different. There are different styles of how they wrote. Um, some are really harsh. Other ones are, are really um, clear. But a lot of them are parallel. Well, they'll say it one way and then they'll repeat it another way. There's a variety of things that are going on. And some of that's used in Psalm 1 here. But Psalm 1 is a focus on God's word. Psalm 2 is a focus on God's son. Two places I decided to start. The last Sunday um, that I was here before we retired, I wore a shirt. What did that shirt say? Read your Bible. Bible. And this is where I want to start back up to help you understand why it's really important that you are recognizing the value of God's word. And so as we look at Psalm 1, I want you to pick up on an illustration, although there'll be another one in here. Life is like a road trip. When you're going to go on a road trip, what do you have to do? 
Besides, save lots of money nowadays for all your fuel. You make plans, you prepare how? You, you get a map, read your Bible. Good, that's the answer I was looking for. No. Um, you're making plans, you're setting up reservations, hotels, campsites, relatives. Don't stay too long. Warning the relatives, so you plan ahead. But there's a lot going into this. But when you actually take off on the trip and you use one of those um, silly little um, GPS guidance systems, they're, they're out now. What do we use now? Okay, I got two. Oh, it's on your phone, but it's called your maps. Oh, it's that simple now? Man, here I was so, so confused. But we've used those before. One of them set us up into the mountains where another person I found out later died. And uh, so we went through there, but we went through in the summer, not in the winter, and we survived. And I rebuked a few people about that because they sent me the wrong way. I think they did it on purpose. But when you're on a road trip, you have a lot of things that are taking place, and you have decisions to make. And like that trip that almost, we almost died on, we, um, we had whys in the road. Do you go this way or this way? And you're constantly looking at your maps and you're trying to figure out what's the right way to go. What do I do here? This is how scripture fits into our lives. So as you wake up in the morning for a given day and you're getting ready for the road trip, how do you prepare? Do you get into the map? Do you open up the word? Do you look at scripture and say, God, what do you have in store for me today? I spent time in, in a chapter of Isaiah this morning. Blew me away. I got to go back and look at it some more. I didn't have enough time. But I purposely try to get into something that isn't what I'm preaching on so that it's just God and I interacting around his word and leaves it wide open for him to talk to me and teach me. So I will go back to it because I keep track of what I've read. And I'll, I'll go back and look at it. But, but here it's a short little psalm, six little verses. Simple, really easy to memorize. How many of you have memorized Psalm 1? I'm not going to call on you if you put your hand up. Just want to know if at some point in your life you were able to quote this. All right? Do it again. It's a very common psalm. It's probably the most common scripture I refer to in the middle of the night when I can't sleep. Because it's so compact and it's so focused on the choices, on the goal, on the decisions I need to make. So when you look at this, it breaks down really simple. Verses 1 and 2, choices. Verses 3 and 4, comparisons, goes into an illustration there. And then verses 5 and 6 gives you the consequences of where you're going to end up. If you're going to end up on a, on a road trip at the right place, or you're going to end up in Timbuktu, which really is a place that you don't want to go to if you're trying to get to Arizona or wherever it may be. So you're looking at this psalm, it brings up, it starts the book of Psalms. It's the first thing, if you, would, if you were God and you were to stop and ask yourself, where, what would I write? Well, I'm going to write 150 psalms that are going to be put to music, and they're going to sing, and they're going to memorize, they're going to learn, their children are going to pick up on. What would I start with for the book? This is what God decided. Must be pretty important. Focus on his word, and a goal toward righteousness is what he really wants. So look at verse 1. The psalmist says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's what the psalms are all about. 
This is what God's after. This is what's happening in America today. The, the counsel of the wicked, the path of sinners, the seat of scoffers, is dominating our country. It's dominating our schools. It's dominating our political system and everything we were around, your commercials, your billboards, everything that they can expose you to is focused around these three areas. But there's a difference between them. And he's promising a blessing or to be blessed when you do not do three things. Funny way to start off. You would think he would start off with the positive. You're blessed if you delight in God's word. End of story. So what do you think the problem was with Israel at that time? They weren't doing it. So he has to get their attention and they go, oh, oh, that's me. Oh, oh, I'm doing that. So he zeroes in here with this blessing to be truly right with God, enjoying spiritual peace and joy. The word literally you could put, how happy is the man? And we all go, oh, happiness is built on happenings. That's okay. When God's involved and he's the one directing things, this is what's going to take place. I sat down and just started thinking about some individuals that stood out to me, in, uh, like Abraham, Daniel, John, Paul. You look back at their lives and many, many others in Scripture who followed God, who walked in righteousness, and what happened to them? They were blessed. They had this spiritual peace and joy. It's an internal joy in God to be very happy, but it's also external. To be pr- approved of God is one who is blessed. And God can come along and he can bless your journey. He can make sure that when you cross over highway, now I forget what the highway is, over to Gold Beach. The one that goes down south, that's the safe way to go. Unless you have fruits and vegetables in your ice chest. Then you got to go into California and back up again, and they'll take them all. And if you look in your rearview mirror, they're sitting there eating them. But it's, yeah, one's 99 and one's something like 66 or 62. Yeah, one, see? You're doing it again. I'm not following your map. I, I refuse. But this is the whole thing. The world's giving you the wrong directions. The world's taking you in a, in a, to a place that you don't really want to go. So he says, the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked is a casual influence. You're being an observer, but you're looking at corruption. The walk here is a general lifestyle. It, it's uh, typically, uh, hopefully aims towards some kind of morality, but in this case of our world today, there's none at all. God's desire is we walk in integrity. The walking in the counsel of the wicked is the advice, the plans, the general instructions and guidance of those who are guilty of sin themselves. That's how God describes them. That's a characteristic of them. They don't exist anymore in our country. Have you noticed that? We don't have any wicked people. Unless, Isaiah 5, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. That's our world today. So this is totally camouflaged from people. They think the various sins that I could go on naming, and I'm going to run out of time, even though I was given an extra 15 minutes. I need to be careful that I am not listening to them. I may be an observer, but I'm not taking it in. The ones that are guilty of sin, these spiritual criminals is what I like to call them. This is what Lot did in Genesis 13. He made a decision. Abraham gave him a choice, and he picked the well-watered lands around the five cities, four of which were destroyed by God. What are the two big names that you remember? Sodom, Gomorrah, and three other ones that are also, two other ones destroyed, and Zoar was not. But 
Lot picked, he, he observed, he looked at it, and he said, that's what I want. What was he not looking at? The wickedness that was there. Do you think he knew anything about it? Do you think that he'd been around long enough to realize interacting, selling um, his livestock, buying products that they needed? Do you think he had any idea of what was going on there? But Lot didn't start off acting like them. He simply was an observer that got brought in to the picture here. He allowed that part to take place. And again, it's just in Genesis 13, 10 to 13, that if you want to look at that. And so here's this corruption. Here's this observer. Here's this casual influence on poor little Lot, even though he was a righteous man, according to the book of. You forget, I used to ask you questions of where to find things in the Bible. Where does it describe his righteous soul was vexed? I'll give you a chance to look that up. It's, it's in the Old or in the New Testament near the end. Further. But as we go in, we're looking at this. This initial thing, he says, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He's not living his lifestyle like the wicked around him. He's not practicing their ways, even though he's just an observer, kind of standing outside and watching. But he says also, blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't take his stand. He doesn't tarry. He doesn't remain. He doesn't lock in to this relationship that they have to follow their ideas. You move from this observer in the first part to one who is a disciple in the second part. Disciple, all it means, mathetes in the New Testament, means a learner. So you're allowing these things to creep in. You can make decisions today, and I, I cringe when I hear parents say, well, we're, we're saving up money to send our kids to college. And I go, Ugh. why would you do that? Because they need to learn things. Okay, you better be very, very careful. Besides the, the lots of money, that's not the problem. It's the colleges and what they're there for. It fits in with the second idea that you are now beginning to stand in the path of sinners. You're hanging around them. You become a copycat. You go from being corrupted in the first phase as an observer to a copycat as a disciple. You're trying to take it in. You're creating a habitual lifestyle. And Lot did the same thing in 13, 12, and 13 of Genesis. He started acting like they acted. This path is their way, their lifestyle, their direction, the goal, the map that, they, that we have picked up. They have a goal of what they want to be like. And so this individual in this second phase is hanging out. They're going to parties. They're going to the bars. They have the same hobbies. They're, they're involved with the riots, even though as you watch on the news even right now, you're kind of watching the instigators, and you almost can see these concentric circles going out when you got the people that are just standing around watching. The looky-loos. They just want to be there. They want to see. Why would you want to do that? Especially after it gets dark. They don't know who's who. And I'm sure a lot of them clear out. But in this case, they are going to the casinos. They're going to the clubs. They're going to the places where the path of sinners becomes a path for me to stand in, to remain in. These sinners are transgressors. The word is used in the New Testament in a similar way of this Hebrew word to miss the mark. They're off track. Why do I want to spend time with them? One reason. Why was Jesus a friend of tax gatherers and sinners? To impact them. So who got impacted when he was around them? They did. Jesus never did. Why was that? 
Because he stood out. He spoke out. He lived it out in his life. He didn't get wishy-washy. He wasn't there to simply be an observer or even a disciple. He wasn't interested in learning from them. He was interested in reaching them. And there's times you need to do that. There's times you have to go to work and you're surrounded by people who don't want anything to do with God. But they're watching you. And you don't want to give in. You don't want to become like them. You don't want to be discipled. So the blessing goes to not just those who walk in the counsel of the wicked or don't, who don't stand in the path of sinners. They're not hanging around learning their ways. But lastly, nor do they sit in the seat of scoffers. You go from being the observer to the disciple to the teacher. You're now one of the ones that are leading this. You go from corruption to copycat to convictions. This is now what I believe. And so now I can sit and be one of the ones who are scorning other people, mocking, deriding, ridiculing. I'm showing contempt. And where do we see that in the United States of America today? On the news, from our politicians, from lawyers, from teachers, in your schools. This is where people live. Entertainers. Entertainers. Judges can even go that route even though they shouldn't be. So he's promising a blessing, and he's going to explain what it is in verse 2. But initially he says, you aren't observing, you aren't being discipled, you are not sitting in the seat scoffing as a teacher. Where did Lot end up in Genesis 19.1? Sitting at the gate of the city. What did that represent him as? He was a leader. He was now a spokesman. When the two angels come in, they don't know who they are, and they visit the city, it's Lot who speaks up, and they say to him, you need to read Genesis 13 to 19 again. What they say. It's an open book exam. Remember phrases I use a lot? You need to know what the word says in order for you to have convictions that you can support. Who made you a judge over us? The position they'd given him because he was going along with what they wanted, as soon as he started to question, they attacked. And so he takes him into his own house, and on goes the story. Lot made the wrong decision. The righteous Abraham made the right decision. God bless Abraham. This is what he wants, and I would gather, even, even though maybe you can't see it a lot in Abraham's life, but in verse 2, because Abraham put his delight in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditate, meditated day and night. Does this characterize our lives? If not, why not? Why aren't the scriptures in the forefront of what we do? Why aren't they the first thing we do, maybe the last thing we do? Why don't we get them, some people have trouble reading. Have somebody read it to you. Get it on, I always want to say CDs, those are long gone. MP3s, move on to computers, phone, online. There's so many ways that you can have the scriptures be read to you. I remember my brother, when um, he had very young children. If you were over at his house in the evening and the kids were put to bed, the first thing you'd hear upstairs in the hallway was scripture being read. He played scripture for them as they went to sleep. Fascinating. It's made an impact. And so as he looks here, he says, your delight, this is where it needs to be. The idea of delighting in something. 
is what God desires. It's this firmly adhering to. It's finding my joy, my focus. But it's in contrast. He says here, but, in verse 2, but his delight. In contrast to the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, to their counsel, to their path, to their seat. In contrast to that, it is so obviously different. They're totally separate. Totally opposite. Delight here is pleasure, enjoyment. I, well, I would refer to this, if I were to give it a modern term, your happy place. I hear people lots of times tell me what the happy place is. But until your happy place is the word of God, watch out. If anything else creeps in that's more important to you, or that distracts you from what God wants you to do and to be, his delight is in the law, the instructions, the directions, this, this road map, this guidebook to righteousness. And he says specifically there in verse 2, the law of the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the one who's referred to as I am in Exodus 3. He is the ever-existing ever life giver, our creator, the unchangeable one, and all that goes into that with the term Yahweh. You can't miss it. It's his words that we're after. Guess who we're going to spend eternity with if you're a believer? Yahweh. Guess who the unbelievers are going to be judged by because they've rejected him? Yahweh. They will have no excuse. But for us, the, the nation of Israel and, and the first readers here, and then for us who can take this in and benefit from it, it is Yahweh is to be our focus through his law that we delight in. Remember Matthew 6.33? It's in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get to that. We'll cover it more thoroughly in weeks ahead, Lord willing. Better yet, we get a new pastor and either he can pick up where I left off or do something different. But Matthew 6.33 says, you guys are chickens. You've had nine months of not being challenged and you won't, you won't stick your necks out. This is how you learn. You know how you learn how to ride a bike? You get on it, and you fall down. You realize, oh, you got to balance. And then dad's standing back there, and he shouldn't lie to you, but are you still hanging on? And you, at some point, you, you say yes when you're not because you're trying to get them to believe that they can do it. And then you, when they're all done, they made it down the road, and they didn't crash into something. You say, I wasn't holding on to you. Then their first thought isn't, you lied to me. It's like, well, I did it, I did it. So don't lie to them. But this is where God is trying to help us to focus on what we need. He wants us to delight in him. And so Matthew 6.33 says, seek, seek second, third, fourth, first. Two things. His kingdom, his righteousness. What do you think Psalm 1 is trying to focus on? If you are delighting in the law of the Lord, that leads you toward his righteousness. But it's the law of the Lord, the one who is in charge, the one whose kingdom it is. That's what he's after. This is, comes with a blessing. You're blessed. What are you looking for in life? Oh, I just want to be happy. There it is. Pretty simple. Yeah, but I got to leave out. What are some things we leave out? The world thinks. Oh, but if I can't do this, life isn't happy. If I can't get drunk, there's no, there's no happiness. If I can't get rich... If I can't get a raise, can't be the boss of my company, can't be in charge, can't be... Can't change my sex. <laughs> Maybe. 
but that is true. That's what some people are trying to do. And that shows you how far we're going. That there's so many things that are twisted and upside down. And now they're trying to do it to children, not just because they desire it. Our country is going astray. Guess what our America is today? It is Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if you realize that. When the two angels get sent in by God, you're the one that's going to be protecting them. Because it's going to become law that you can't tell, parents can't tell what their children can be exposed to or what surgeries they can have or what drugs they can have. You're going to lose total control. Once you do that, somebody's running the show. Who's it going to be? It's not going to be good. So we're going to rescue those two visitors and make sure they're not harmed to the harm of ourselves. Do not offer your daughters in exchange. Just shows you how far out of line Lot had gotten. You need to go back and read Genesis 19 anyway, 18, 19 leading up to it. But he's, he's got this negative of what not to do, and then he's got this positive of where our delight ought to be. And it's God's kingdom, it's God's righteousness, which gets repeat by, repeated by Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. And he doesn't just follow the truth, he follows the trust. He puts his faith in it. He meditates. This is the idea of pondering and reflecting. He imagines. He, he, this word literally in the Hebrew carries the idea of talking to oneself. But it involves ideas, plans, dreams, reflections, decisions, gratitude, confession, changes, adoration. As we interact with meditating on what God has said. If we take in Psalm 1 and we say, okay, how am I doing? Am, am I in danger here with the counsel of the wicked or the path of sinners or the seat of scoffers? Is there a major change I need to make in my life because I'm trying to get up the ladder and in order to do so, I've made a lot of compromises. I'm selling out. And you're going to find out that ladder leads to a dead end. There were years and years that we watched women complaining that they couldn't be CEOs, that nobody would let them in. They had this ceiling this, that they couldn't break through. And then when women finally started getting that and they got up in those positions, there were women testifying of how it had ruined their lives, ruined their families, not satisfied them in any way, shape, or form. And some of them were quitting and going back home. Isn't that amazing? Who told them that home was the place they ought to focus on in the first place? God. If they had delighted in his word, they would have realized that. If they would have reflected and trusted him that this is what's best for me. This is how you make a difference in our world. It's focus on your family. Focus on your husband. Focus on making a difference in the realm that God has put you in. He made you female or he made you male. And they're trying to create a third entity that they can do whatever they want with. And they're some of the most disgruntled, dissatisfied, sad people on planet Earth. Used to be the average age of someone who died in some of those immoral situations was 42. Homosexuality was the one they focused on, but there's many others out there. 42, that's the age they were dying at. What's the national average? Almost twice that. What was the problem? Exactly what God's saying here. There are consequences. So look what he says when he tells them to do the right thing. But he tells them to meditate when? Day and night. Those are actually separated in the Hebrew. In the daytime, in the night. Which is just trying to bring out the whole idea of doing it continually. So he makes a comparison. He gives them an illustration. 
Look at verse 3. He says, he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. This is just making a comparison between the tree in verse 3 and the chaff in verse 4. In verse 3, like a tree resembles a healthy tree. It's similar to valuable, useful, growing. It's productive. This is what he's trying to bring up for you. If you really want to enjoy life to the fullest, do it God's way. Stop making excuses. I've had people angry at me, angry at me for restricting them verbally. I can't do anything physically, or I shouldn't anyway. But to tell them no to something they want to do in their life. I was a youth pastor. I had many positions where I could share with people and warn them, and I watched different ones die different ways. I watched different ones grow different ways. I watched them get married, have families, and God bless them. I watched all the choices that they made on this road trip that they were on because they wouldn't listen. I saw some come to Christ in the worst of situations, and what it comes down to is that God has promised that if you will be Walking in his way, delighting in his law, meditating on a day and night, letting it dominate your thinking, then you'll be just like this um, tree resembling and paralleling a tree that has been firmly planted. You know what this is describing here? It literally is the word in the Hebrew to be transplanted. All it's talking about is taking a little shoot. There, there's some trees around Lapine I want to do that with. Talked about over at Linda's house. Just want to take a little shoot to get my chainsaw out and whack down some branches. But I, I want to try to get it to see if I can put some hormone powder on there and get it to start and grow my own because it's a great tree. One of them is a snow crab apple. You can't find them. They, won't, they don't sell them anymore. Snowdrip. Thank you very much. And so you're looking for this. Well, this is what it's talking about. It's like God has taken this shoot and firmly planted it by streams of water. The streams here are not rivers. They're the canals that come off of the rivers. For when you flood irrigate, like Arizona, some of you go down there in the wintertime. I don't know why, but, <laughs> but they flood irrigate. They used to. Maybe the environmentalists won't let them anymore. But this is what it's describing. You would put all these shoots in the ground, and you would make sure they got plenty of water. And as long as they had that water, he tells you like it does here, firmly planted by streams of water, they got put in the right depth in the ground, and they got the right amount of water, and it yields its fruit in its season. So this irrigation is meeting the needs so that it produces a crop at the proper time. That's all you're looking for. How often do we go to our trees in Lapine in the springtime and go, okay, how many little starter buds or fruits made it? One year on my apple tree, I had one. And I wasn't out there all the time, so I couldn't shoot the bird that ate it. I love birds. I've only killed one bird in my life, so I'm just joking. But, but the, the idea here is this is not what you get in Lapine, but it is what you get when you're walking with God, delighting in his word. You have this fruitfulness at the proper time. And this is the other thing we think. God, life ought to be easy and fruitful always, 24 hours a day. Every day of every year, there ought to be. There ought to be no troubles. What do fruit trees go through? Troubles, like what, specifically? Okay, there can be a drought, so you've got to make sure you get water to them. Frost in Lapine, always. And what? Blight, okay, there can be diseases and pests that come in. 
fire, if, if there's any kind of danger, forest fires come in here. Wind. Lightning, cold weather to where maybe a lack of sunshine. There's a variety of things that go through. It is normal. When, when a tree produces, we had an apple tree in California uh, when Bev and I first got married at her house, and it was a red and yellow stripe, best apple I've ever eaten, best applesauce you could ever make. And it was gnarly, old, barely there. I pruned it up, and I, we started getting a lot better crops. But I looked at it and realized this thing had, been, had endured. It had gone through a lot. Neglect, and there's one of the things. If you don't have somebody watching over those fruit trees, if they aren't pruning them properly and pruning them at all. Some people think like with children, you never prune and you get more fruit. It doesn't work like that. That's what disciplines and guidance and, and coming alongside and saying the word no. You want to practice with me? No. And mean it. You got to have the convictions of the third step up there. No. And then when they try to do it anyway, no. And you back it up with discipline. It's missing today in America. Oh, children can make their own decisions. And now they're going to the extreme. We could not have an aspirin from the nurse in elementary school. See the contrast? I know that was back in the dark ages, but it's just what it was. Now they're telling you parents, you can't have any say. You can't see the doctor records. You can't, have, you can't even do anything with refills. We don't want you to know anything as we block their hormones or whatever we might be doing to them. We're creating an army of slaves to serve our sexual perversions. That's what Sodom and Gomorrah was. Who let it happen? Lot. He was even leading, sitting in the gate while all that was going on. What are we doing today? And I'm not telling you to become a, um, what's the word? I just lost, I had it, and it went back out again. Uh, to do like people are doing to abortion or to um, pregnancy centers where they're going in and firebombing and destroying them and breaking windows and even burning them, whatever they can do to them, they're, 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 um, there's a word for that. Protesters, more than that. Anarchists. Okay, activists, but there's a strong word for Ooh, sounds like. Let me, let me get my whiteboard up here and I'll start writing it down. Demonstrators. But I'm looking for the real cruel world. Terrorists. Anarchists. Um, there's one more out there. But, but this is, well, there may be names of the groups. But this is what's going on. And so we, we're sitting there and we're letting them take over because we don't want to speak up. See, if I said the wrong thing and I kept thinking we were going to get the the thought police in here and being taken off whatever, sermon audio, probably maybe not that one, but YouTube, wherever this is going out, because I mentioned some things that aren't popular today. If that were to happen to us, what do we do? We change so we can get our way and have our church be nice and happy? No, we teach the truth. We have to do it with gentleness, with compassion, with kindness, with patience. But, but we teach the truth because it's what's best for them. And if it cost me my own life in the process because I love them, that's what I would do for my own child. That's what I would do for an enemy that I love. That's why you have military men sign up and lay down their lives for the country. Now I'm hearing out of the mouths of some of those individuals, if they were to ask to do it again, one of them said, I don't even know. I heard one guy recently. I don't know if I even want to fly the American flag anymore. It's not the American flag that's the problem. 
It's the people that have been given charge. But see, you've got three groups. You've got the extremists on the one hand. You have the genuine believers, which is few on the other. Matthew 7. Few there be that find it. And you've got this middle group that's kind of moral. And their morals kind of move around according to what works best. And sometimes they'll even vote for the anarchists because they think, oh, they, they have a good logical argument. Instead of voting for God, for God's truth, for what God wants. And so I know you, you come in here and you're looking for entertainment or me tell you some neat stories or the latest jokes. But Paul told Timothy in chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 to preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And then three key words commanded. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Maybe a different word in some other translation. Go read the Sermon on the Mount ahead of time that we're going to cover. See how many jokes Jesus cracks. See how he was trying to entertain them so they wouldn't walk away from him. That's not what we're supposed to be doing, but it's what we've been taught. It's what some are coming out of school doing and some churches are even doing. When they tell their pastor they want a 15-minute message and that's it. Too late today. We're not getting enough. And the basic problem with it is Psalm 1. We're not spending time in the Word. But I don't understand it. How do you think you're going to understand it? Meditate on it day and night. Ask God for direction. Go to somebody who knows more than you, you do and ask him for input. I love it. Wednesday night after Bible study, people will come up, ask questions, and I can tell they've been thinking. They have been processing through the information. Jim gets it in Sunday school. People are working through, well, I got a question. How do you do that? Because I've been thinking about it. I've been musing on this. I've been meditating on God's word, and I don't quite understand how this works. We've got a lot of people that become believers, and the world, I mean the world of Christians supposedly, put them right in the limelight, right up front, and make them be the director, because they already were a hero. They already were a comedian. They already were a um, popular sports figure. They were in some position. And the worst thing you could do is to put them in the limelight. God put Paul in a variety of places, but not in the limelight for 17 years, according to Galatians 1 and 2. Are you, I'll ask this question straight out because I may, somebody may cut me. Are you reading your Bibles? Are you just checking it off because, oh, I, I, I got to read my Bible. Da, 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 da. Okay, I got that done. Now I can get on with what really matters. Or is it the delight? Do you find yourself sitting down with the scriptures in a time when you've not locked in? You've left God plenty of room and you find yourself pretty soon, half hour's gone by, an hour's gone by. And you're going, oh, no, 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 I'm just getting warmed up. If that's not the case in your life, something's wrong. Stop letting the normal be three minutes with God. Keeps the devil away. Get into the word. Delight in his law. Meditate on it day and night. The wicked don't do that. In verse 4, the wicked are not so. They don't care about the scriptures, even though they stand up in front of the huge audiences and finish their, their talks with God bless you and God bless America. And I, when I hear that from people that are evil people, I want to throw up. Am I allowed to say that? You should have reactions. I watch evolutionary films and documentaries, and I comment all the way through. If, if Quincy's sitting there, he gets a full teaching lesson and a counter-teaching to the little, the little slip-ups that they put in there. Oh, this was millions of years ago. No. 
How do we know it wasn't millions of years ago? Look at it. Look at the science. Look at the evidence. Besides, the scriptures make it really clear. We haven't been here that long. Six days of creation. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff, or like chaff which the wind drives away. Chaff was just that um, worthless, uh, I, some people want to call it straw, but it's the husks that are uh, wrap around the grain that they would um, thresh. And, and then when they were done, they would winnow it. They'd pick it up and throw it in the air because the, the lighter um, chaff, the husk, would be blown further out. So if you were at a place where they're actually wintering, uh, winnowing, they would have a, a small circle area where the animals are attached and they're just walking around and around and around, crushing that grain to make it separatable. Then from there, they would throw it out. So you'd see another circle outside of that of all this worthless stuff. Straw is another way that comes away from some, I don't know, where you get straw. Is that from wheat? Is that from barley? Is that from any of those? Okay, so there's still the leftovers. It's the chaff that comes away, the stuff you can't eat. And as a kid, I used to think hay and straw were the same thing. Until one day I said, I want, I want a bale of hay. Well, it was a lot more money than a bale of straw. And I kind of went, well, why? Because this still has some value in it. Straw, use it for your chicken pen or your dog pen or whatever. It may hold a little bit of water. It doesn't even work well for that. But the wicked are, uh, have a serious problem here. And he gives just this little bitty line on verse 4 compared to the righteous who delight in the law of the Lord, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The, this, this picture he's trying to bring out here is the... Um, prosperity that comes to the individual. He advances, he thrives, he succeeds. And it's a hifil. If that carries any weight with you, he is caused to succeed. Who's causing him to succeed? God is. God is the one who's coming along and blessing who you are. You plus God are a majority no matter what the world's doing or saying. You plus God obeying what he says to do will lead you in a, a righteousness that will benefit you for now and for eternity. Following the world does not. They lose. Like chaff, they're blown away. So he gives you one last comparison here in the consequences that take place. Verse 5. Therefore, because of these decisions, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Basically, all they're saying is he will not maintain himself, he will not endure, he will not succeed. They will not win their case in the judgment. When they stand before God, they'll have nothing to say. You notice that in the, the parable of the, um, the wedding feast? When they finally get the guy who came in, didn't have any wedding clothes on, and they pull him out and they, he gets asked a question, and what does he say? Nothing. He has nothing to say. All these people think they're going to stand up. I'm going to tell God off. I'm going to get my lawyer. I'm going to make sure that God has to understand. Like Job tried to do, that didn't work so well either. The last four or five chapters of Job. When you realize that these unbelievers, the wicked, which is anyone who's rejected Jesus Christ, don't think, well, the wicked, the um, believers, and then I'm kind of in here. There is no fence to sit on in the middle. If you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ, you're one of the wicked. How dare you? It's what God says, what he's describing here. But it's, it's the wicked 
who will not stand in the judgment. They will have nothing to say. They are guilty. The wicked are the guilty of crimes, the rebellious ones who have not taken the solution in Jesus Christ. And the judgment here is when God sits to judge and hear their case and render a verdict. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Very end, last verse of the book. Makes it easier for you to find. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That's how Ecclesi- or Solomon finished off uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. What does that mean? I thought my good stuff, because I'm in Christ, they'll never know. Nope, it gets exposed somehow. But verse 13 tells you why. What the need is when you back up one verse in Ecclesiastes 12. Two things, fear God. When all has been said and done, fear God. Keep his commandments. That's what life's all about. That's what your children need to learn more than anything. Is to fear God and keep his commandments. Take the word so seriously, so joyously, so necessary that it's like my next breath. It's my next drink of water. And you read the Psalms and you'll see this repeated over and over and over and over again. Or you'll see when a man like David, who would have been called righteous, fails, sins, takes somebody else's wife, commits adultery, then takes her husband's life, commits murder to cover up. How did that work for him? What happened in the end days of his life? Not blessed. Miserable. Divided up. Yeah, family got all divided up. You follow one of the books, I think it's 1 Samuel. David goes up and up and up and up like this is promising. And then he commits adultery and murder. And you watch the rest of the book. Down, 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 down. And yet God has still saved David. God is still going to use David just like he's going to do with us. Don't you feel horrible some days when you do some things that God's told you not to do? If you don't, that's not a good sign. You want to find out if you're really saved. Because the Holy Spirit convicts. And God spanks. But he says here, the wicked are not going to stand in the judgment. Sinners in the assembly of the righteous. When he brings all those believers together, that congregation, that company of peoples who have followed God, assembled together by appointment. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the... Judgment. No, it's after that the reincarnation. After that the sleep, soul sleep, where I just disappear for eternity. This is what people are trying to teach people. So when they bring up stuff like that to me, I said, have you been there? Have you died? No. Well, well, then how do you know? Where are you getting that from? And they stumble because they don't know. It's what they want to believe. But the reality is I'm talking about one who is resurrected from the dead. One who conquered the dead has spoken to us and told us about it. John, Paul, who have gone into God's presence in spirit have brought back information. God has worked through the apostles, the disciples, to write his word for us to have. It's trustworthy. And I remember in seminary one day when after years and years of study, I finally sat back in class. The teacher was still talking. And I said... I'm done. I had exhausted my study to the point, not that I knew everything, but for me, I'd come to a point and realized I'm satisfied. This book is trustworthy. 
I've just checked out everything I can possibly check out about it, and everything keeps coming back true, true, true. So why don't people believe it? It's because they're wicked. They don't want to believe it. It's not that they don't know. The Holy Spirit convicts. They don't want it. And they're going to face a consequence. So I keep sharing the gospel. But he tells you in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He is personally acquainted. This word similar to gnosko in the New Testament. Personally acquainted in this relationship. He knows your thoughts, your words, your deeds. If you're fearing and serving and trusting him. But he knows by experience, by your walk, how you're proving this relationship. He knows the way of the righteous. Same word he used up in verse 1. And God is involved in our lives. Direct contact as he ministers to our needs. Intimate involvement as he speaks through his word. And yet we go through these struggles. And people keep saying, well, that can't be of God. What, what Laria is struggling with right now, I can't imagine. But the first thing that came to my mind was Job. And another one was Bailey. I think it's Albert Bailey who lost all three of his sons. One at a time. And, and it's out there. It's horrible. It's horrific. And you, you sit there and you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I pray. I ask God to comfort. I look for ways to minister. But it tears our hearts out. And yet for some, they'll look at that and say, what kind of God is that? Why would God let that happen? And they have to take time to figure out what his goal is, what he's after. And the long term is what God's doing. It's the road trip taking you all the way to the end of Christ's likeness. It, it isn't having given you all these scenic spots. You, you can't keep coming around every bend and having some scenic spot. You got to go through some valleys and some heat and, and some drought. And, and our car got 12 miles a gallon and high winds and high altitude and, and high heat and everything else about it. It was the little engine that could is struggling, struggling, almost ran out of gas out in the desert. It gets 30 miles a gallon. Look down, it's saying 12. You're going, you go through struggles. You go through hard times. And immediately, I, I, my first thoughts were, God, you let me down. And his thought was, Jack, you didn't fill up at the last gas station. <laughs> it's not God's fault. But it's an opportunity to depend on him. And to watch him meet knees when we were driving back and forth to seminary. And you, you're out in the middle of the desert at midnight. We drove all night, straight through. 38 hours, whatever it was. And, and you're sometimes there weren't any gas stations open. And it's zero. I tried to get something out of the ice chest and it was frozen on top of the car. Who needs an ice chest? And we come over a rise as it's right on empty. And I'm going, Lord, you got to provide. This 24-hour truck stop all lit up. Tons of people, cars, everything you could think of. Just drive in there and suck that gas up. God's in control. And when he doesn't solve our need, he provides it by somebody pulling up and meeting our need. And they drive up and say, oh, I've been carrying a gallon of gas around for a long time, and I didn't know why. Get out, dump it in your car, and drive away. We've had people do stuff like that for us. That's who I need to be. But I need to recognize it because I'm focusing on the God who created me, the God who's in control, the God who's given me the scriptures, and the God who says, study the map. Especially to the men. Ask directions from here. Do it ahead of time. Don't wait until you're in the middle of the crisis. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. They're going to die. They're going to fail. They're going to be removed from this planet. 
Their ruination faces them. This word he uses for perish here is, is um, comparable to the word used in the New Testament for Abaddon. Job uses it in Job 26.6, but he's describing this grave that they're going to end up in. Their loss. So, I picked up where I left off. Read your Bibles. And I don't mean rotely, just kind of, well, yeah, i got to get it done. I don't mean even being a fanatic about it. If it's not meditated on, if it's not taken in, if you're not applying it to your life, if it doesn't become part of the roadmap, it's worthless. I understand Mark's memorized the New Testament from what I was told. Let him know where, because he didn't know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. That's the bottom line. That's what you have to ask yourself. So many religious people today, so many people that are claiming that they know the Lord. And you get to Matthew 7, and Lord, Lord, we did all these things for you. Cast out demons, perform miracles, prophesied in your name. And he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And he zeroes in on what, they, what their lifestyle was. You who practice lawlessness. What is the goal of Psalm 1? Righteousness. If sin is in your life, if there's some things that, well, I got a few weaknesses, and you don't have a red bottom from God spanking you, something wrong. He only spanks those who are his own, and he doesn't ignore sin in our lives. But if you claim, claim to be a believer, and you don't love thy law all the day long, as Psalm 119 will tell you, there's something else wrong. There's no appetite. There's no hunger. There's no need. Your gas tank is already full from the world. So there you have it. I will go seek to practice what I preach. Pray for me as I pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. You have been so kind to us. Garden of Eden on. Adam and Eve blatantly disregarded you. They put their faith in the devil. And then they saw the consequences. In them, in their children, in their lives, in the world. Father, help us not to learn the hard way. Help us to learn by the examples of 1 Corinthians that talks about the set examples for us. I think it's chapter 10. Let's learn from what others did wrong and not follow in their footsteps. Let's be the younger brother or sister who watches what happens when our older sibling violates your word or our parents. Help us to be on a road trip toward righteousness and not deviate. We need your help. It's dangerous days we're living in. Rather than mock our politicians and others that speak wrongly, Father, may we pray for them. Not for their deaths or for their being voted out of office first, but to vote for them to come to know you. Break them down. Strip away what they're dependent on. And if there be someone in this room right now who professes salvation but doesn't practice righteousness, Father, may they come to know you today as they receive the free gift of eternal life from your Son. And thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.